0: This is uh, Case 32 of the yang Yangshan's Mind and Environment, the Introduction. The ocean is the world of dragons, disappearing and appearing, they sport serenely. The sky is the home of cranes, they fly and call freely. Why does the exhausted fish remain in the shallows and a sluggish bird rest in the reeds? Is there any way to figure gain and loss? The main case. Yangshan asked the monk, where are you from? The monk said, from your province. Yangshan said, do you think of that place? And the monk said, I always think of it. Yangshan said, The thinker is the mind, and the thought of is the environment. Therein are mountains, rivers, and landmass, buildings, towers, halls, and chambers, people, animals, and so forth. Now reverse your thought to think of the thinking mind are there so many things there? The monk said, When I get here, I do not see any existence at all. Yangshan said, This is right for the stage of faith, but not yet right for the stage of a person. The monk said, Don't you have any other particular way to guide? Yangshan said, To say that I have anything particular or not would be inaccurate. Based on your insight, you only get one mystery. Now you can take the seat and wear the robe. After this, see on your own. The verse. All embracing with no outside, penetrating with no obstruction, Gates and walls, like cliffs, doors and locks, redoubled. When the wine is always sweet, it lays out the guests. Though the mill is filling, it ruins the farmers. Bursting out of the clear sky, the Garuda takes wing on the wind. Treading over the blue sea, thunder follows the Roaming Dragon. The third pillar of our practice is known as the Great Determination, which serves as an antidote to some of our most common tendencies. Such as becoming complacent, complacent or numb, losing momentum, feeling defeated or victimized by life, becoming fixated on our thoughts, and creating a fortress from our mental constructs. And these tendencies are ancient and they're active before we take on a spiritual practice, and they are very much there alive and well while we are engaged in a practice. In other words, we can equally get caught up in mundane affairs or in spiritual experiences. And the Great Determination is a sobering reminder that there is always, always the road ahead. The other function of the Great Determination is to shed light on how to work with the so-called stages of spiritual maturation so we don't settle down and stop deepening. At any step, any phase along the way, it is easy to get discouraged either by feeling stuck and thinking that we will never understand Zen or by having some realization experience and then thinking we have arrived somewhere. Zen training is very different from all other endeavors we engage in in life since we are training to be who we already are. On a fundamental and inherent level, from the beginning, all beings are Buddha as we just chanted, Hakuin Song of Zazen. However, However, until we experience and verify this personally, we have a tough time trusting that it is, indeed, our true nature. So we go searching elsewhere. And again, as Haakuin said, how near the truth, how far we seek. To merge the being that is sitting on this cushion with what this being inherently is, takes concentrated and sustained effort as in the quote I used this morning from Master Long Ji, who said, Today is not your first arrival here. Since the ancient home before the empty Kalpa, clearly nothing has been obscured. Although you are inherently spirited and splendid, still you must go ahead and enact it. This is why consistent training and perseverance are absolutely necessary and that is the reason we speak of stages on the path of spiritual maturation but we have to remember that all of it is essentially nothing but upaya nothing but skillful means and how easy it is to get caught up in skillful means i have better skillful means than you let's compare Let's put them side by side. Let's find another way to get caught up because we are so good at it. The stages of spiritual maturation have been depicted in multiple ways by various teachers from different traditions. In one of the well-known descriptions is found in the 10 ox herding pictures, which we have actually at the the, the dojo, the Zendo, as you enter on the left hand side there. The 10 ox herding originated in China during the 12th century, using the image of an ox as a depiction of our inherent nature. The first stage begins with a spiritual seeker searching for the footprints of an ox. Then it goes on to encountering the ox, taming and riding it, and then it moves gradually through a releasing process of forgetting the ox and then forgetting the person, eventually relinquishing all the realities and living in a state of complete merging. So I'd like to take six of these and read them in connection with this koan, six of the ox-herding. Each of the pictures has um, a short verse attached to that, and in some cases there is commentary. So the first one, the verse says, In the pasture of the world, I endlessly push aside the tall grasses in search of the bull. Following unnamed rivers lost upon the interpenetrating paths of distant mountains, my strength failing and my vitality exhausted, I cannot find the bull. I only hear the locusts chirping through the forest at night. The commentary says, The first picture shows the ox herd desperately looking everywhere for his lost ox. He is dissatisfied with his life, unable to find the true happiness that he seeks. His efforts to secure wealth friends fame and pleasure have not brought him the fulfillment he's seeking like many of us he's seeking something though he's not sure exactly what it is that will make his life meaningful and bring him lasting contentment so I'll jump to the fourth one here I seize him with terrific struggle after finding after finding the uh, the ox, the footprints, and then the ox himself. I seize him with terrific struggle. His great will and power are inexhaustible. He, ch- he charges to the high plateau, far above the cloud mists, or in an impenetrable ravine he stands. I have abandoned the whip and the ropes. In the commentary, says the fourth picture shows that the ox-herd has now caught hold of the ox using the bridle of discipline to control it. This symbolizes the rigorous discipline required of a Zen practitioner. Although he now realizes that the power to transform his life lies within, in his Buddha nature, All of his previous conditionings are pulling and pushing him in different directions. Karma is still there. Holding the rope tightly means that he must work hard to overcome his habits of the past that developed through the ignorance, hatred, and craving that gave rise to all his afflictions. The fifth one. The whip and rope are necessary, else he might stray off down some dusty road. Being well-trained, he becomes naturally gentle. Then, unfettered, he obeys his master." And then it says, the picture shows that disciplined practice can overcome habitual streams of previous conditioning and bring one into a cold with true nature of reality. Although discipline is still needed because the old habits of mind still have power, living in greater awareness of true reality gives one the energy and direction to live a wholesome life. Now the ox willingly follows the ox herd home, meaning that the separation between oneself and true reality is being overcome the seventh astride the bull I reach home I am serene the bull too can rest the dawn has come in blissful repose within my touched dwelling I have abandoned the whip and ropes in the seventh picture the Oxford has realized his identity with the ox. The ox can be forgotten, for it is none other than the experience of everyday things. This can be interpreted to mean that the separation of practice and realization has been overcome, as has the separation of ordinary reality and ultimate reality. Until now he has been practicing meditation as a means of achieving enlightenment. But with realization of non-duality of existence comes awareness of the identity of means and ends. Practice itself is realization, as Dogen wrote. The eighth one, whip. Rope, person, and bull all merge in no thing. This heaven is so vast. No message can stain it. How may a snowflake exist in a raging fire? Here are the footprints of the ancestors. I have abandoned the whip and ropes. So The eighth picture tells us that When the duality of self and reality has been overcome, not only is reality, the ox forgotten, but so is the self, the ox heard. The circle, which is in that picture, symbolizes the all-encompassing emptiness that constitutes the ground of all things. Now, in the awareness of unceasing transformation and total interconnectedness in every experience, One is freed from all craving and hatred for the other. In this freedom, there is a sense of the wholeness and perfection of ordinary things. And the tenth one, the last one, the verse says, Barefooted and naked of breast, I mingle with the people of the world. My clothes are rugged and dust-laden. And I am ever blissful. I use no magic to extend my life. Now before me, the dead trees become alive. I have abandoned the weeping robes. And finally, the tenth picture shows the enlightened Oxford entering the town, the town's marketplace, doing all the ordinary things that everyone else does. But because of his deep awareness, everything he does, he is quite extraordinary. He does not retreat from the world, but shares his enlightened existence with everyone around him. Not only does he lead fishermongers and innkeepers in the way of the Buddha, but because of his creative energy and radiance of his life, even with the trees bloom. How beautiful, how real, how easy to get caught up. before we hear the 10 oxing and after ox and after we hear the oxing. So these stages seem very well organized. And they may give us the impression that our practice will progress in a neat and linear way. Which is what we may be searching for after hearing this. But in reality, in reality, it's a lot more messy than that. And we move between experiences in all directions. Sometimes it feels like we are making progress. And other times it may feel as if we are regressing. But the stages described in these ox pictures refer to true experiences. True experiences. And they can be very helpful if we know how to use them. And that's really the crux of it uh, in reference to all upaya, any upaya. It can be useful or it can be a trap. So in this koan, yangshan, is using it very well by discerning the spiritual depth of the new monk and then guiding him to the next stage on the path. Yangshan was a 9th century Chinese Zen master who, together with his teacher, Kui Shan, founded one of the five schools of Zen, the Kui Yang School, taken by the names of both of them. Each of the schools or houses of Zen, as they are often referred to, had unique characteristics. In the case of the Kui Yang school, there was a strong emphasis on an inherent divine spark which gives rise to the true person within each of us. In the Golden Age of Zen, John Wu writes, Another valuable contribution of the Kui Yang house is that on, on one hand it sticks firmly to the axiom of instantaneous enlightenment, but on the other hand it insists upon the necessity of gradual cultivation. He says the style of the house of Kui Yang has, its char- has a charm of its own. It is not as steep and sharp edged as the houses of Rinzao Yunmen, nor as close knit and resourceful as the house of Soto, nor as speculative and broad as the house of Fayen, but it has greater depth than the others. And we have to understand what that means. So the dialogue in this koan begins with Yangshan asking a monk who just came to the monastery, where are you from? And the footnote says, he shuts the door and digs for understanding. That question alone does that. And this was a common cre- first question monks had to deal with. But it wasn't an ordi- just an ordinary question about location. It was a way to probe the depth of the newcomer's spiritual understanding. So the monk said, "I've come from you province." The footnote says the public proof is clear. Now, public koan means public case. That's the literal meaning or translation of koan. Public. Why public? It's out. It's in public domain. It is our everyday life. It is always there, never hidden. And it is always about you and always about now. So I came from New Province, he says. Yangshan said, Do you think about this place? And the footnote says, Just when it's forgotten. That's in a way that's one of the many responsibilities of a teacher is to remind us if we think we are beyond something to remind us if we think we are stuck also to remind us. And the monk said I always think of it and the footnote says a familiar place is hard to forget that is true on so many levels and it doesn't matter if it's a if we have good feelings about the place or not so good feelings about the place it's hard to forget not so much in terms of memory but what is hard is to not allow it to hold us back to hold us down remember when I first came here from Israel it took a while. It took, I think, about five years to actually be free of that. To be free of the attachment to a place, a place where I grew up, a place, obviously, I had strong connection with, people. It's not forgetting the place or the people. It's just opening up the hand. Not attaching, not thinking that this is needed right here, right now. Whatever it is that we're attached to. It takes a while, a gradual, sustained effort and determination. There were times, actually, I thought of going back. But there was a strong notion within that said, no, I should not go back. It's not what I need to do. And it's clear now. It was actually clear even earlier, but it's clear now. Because I feel like over time, it's not that I established roots here as much as realizing that there's no need to be attached to a place. The whole earth is medicine. So up to this point, the conversation between Yangshan and this monk seemed quite conventional. But then, Yangshan went directly to the deep end. And he asked the monk, The thinker is the mind, and the thought of is the environment. Therein are mountains, rivers, and and the landmass, buildings, towers, halls, chambers, people, animals, and so forth. Now reverse that. Reverse your thought to think of the thinking mind. Are there so many things there? All these things you describe. Where are they? And the footnote actually says about Yangshan, you yourself create a distinction, my good man. And the monk said, when I get there, I don't see any existence at all. I don't see any existence at all. There is still the seeing and the not seeing. And there is still conjuring up fixed concepts of subjectivity and objectivity. Of course, it's not wrong to say that on the level of form or relativity, there are Many kinds of appearances, as Yangshan describes. And on the level of formlessness, or the absolute, there are no appearances at all. Yet, in the same way that, we, that stages on the spiritual path are no more than skillful means, words like form and formlessness, or absolute and relative, are also no more than skillful means. It can be very helpful to speak in such terms. But we can very easily get stuck there and believe that these words allude to a defined and solid state of being. The vastness of reality is fluid and in a constant state of becoming. And it can never be contained or defined. So is reality and so is each of us. So if reality cannot be contained how can we be contained to a stage? How can we be contained to form or formless? Or how can we be contained to a gap between the two? Now this monk most likely did have realization, deep realization but there he was standing in heat maybe basking in its glow or maybe not knowing how to proceed or if there's a need to proceed and wherever we stand is the place where we can be found It's the place where we find ourselves and it's what we broadcast to the world here is who i am here is what i am or where i am And here is where i'm not or who i'm not so whether we're standing in something standing in nothing or even standing in a state of merging form and formlessness either way either way it becomes an extra burden we carry around so if we look at the stages of the ox herding pictures we might say that this monk was somewhere between the fifth and the seventh stage after discovering and taming the ox, but still somewhat holding on to the ropes and wholeness. And these two need to be transcended. Once Guishan said to Yangshan, Guishan was his teacher, speak quickly without going into the clusters and elements. Yangshan said, I don't even formulate faith. Kui Shan said, Do you not formulate it up after having faith? Or is it that you really believe in no faith and therefore you have nothing to formulate? Yangshan said, I am just Yangshan. Who else should I have faith in? Kui Shan said, If so, then you have a fixed disciple nature. Yangshan said, I don't even see a Buddha. And finally, Qu Shan asked, in the 40 rolls of the Mahanirvana Nirvana Sutra, how many words are the Buddhas and how many are the demons? Nyangshan said, all words belong to the demon. And Guishan was so delighted by this answer and said, hereafter, nobody will be able to do anything to you. Well, nobody and n- no thing, actually. No life circumstance. Can do anything to that. So John Wu commented on this, saying, they said, this reminds me of what Justice Holmes once said to me. In any system of philosophy, its basic ideas are comparatively simple and easy to understand. But words are the devil. If only we do not forget that words are the devil we should be able to enjoy reading without any danger of being entangled in the intricate network of words and concepts. Now, this is very important. When we talk about spiritual maturation, when we talk about form and formlessness, when we chant the Heart Sutra, it's very important that we know to not make anything off it. It's very important that we are free to chant. We're not chanting by any obligation and we don't think that this chanting is going to do anything. How we chant, the words we chant, what we want it to do is already happening. But if I think I need to chant 10,000 times, I am saying it's not happening now. And that's very, very, very important to recognize. Because what if I don't get to 10,000? What if I die before? That would be a shame. Because on the tombstone, it's going to say, you got to 9,000. You almost made it. You almost made it. and this is a good reminder and wonderful advice to all of us when we hold a mondo. Are we free to hold a discussion and play with words or do we use our words to build castles and intricate structures for us to crawl in and reside in? How do we use words? How do we listen to words? How do we listen to words? We hear somebody say something and we make it so narrow that all we hear, all we see is our conceptual or the conceptual image that is evoked in our mind when we hear the word. And we reduce the person to that concept. And we reduce ourselves to that concept too. And it doesn't really matter. We we are free to do that. But it's a shame. So Yangshan heard that. He saw that the monk was stuck at that stage. And he said, This is right for the stage of faith, but not yet right for the stage of person. And the footnote says, The sun will melt the snow remaining in the garden. But who will you have sweep out the red dust inside the room? There is still that. There is still that. Life will kick you. You're going to wake up from whatever realization you think you've had. Life will show up and say, okay, well, now what? Now here's what's happening. Throw away this realization and do this now. And with that come the red dust. Lots of it. Who is going to sweep that? In commentary, it says, Yunman once said about this koan, yangshan because of his kindness and compassion, had a conversation in the weeds. After all, the monk too was shocked. He said, here, I don't see any existence at all. And Hong Xiu compiled this quan collection, added, Nowadays, hardly one of 10,000 people reaches this state, and this is true. If they do, then they point to themselves and carry a board, not knowing that by delighting in the way on the road, one ultimately fails to reach home. Now, what does it mean to carry a board? Imagine carrying a four by eight on one side, one hand. What do you see? If you carry it on the right side, all you see is what's on the left. You look right, you don't see anything. And you may think there's nothing there or it's not important. You carry it on the left side, you only see what's on the right. And there are many other examples of how we carry a board, when we reduce ourselves to a concept, we reduce each other to a concept or reality, we carry a board or maybe we put a box over our head, probably a better way to describe that. So not knowing that by delighting in the road one ultimately fails to reach home. Yangshan had traveled the mountain path. Yangshan himself knows what it means to be trapped. So he specially pointed out a living road. A living road. Highlighted. Underlined. A living road. As practitioners. As practitioners. We all know that there are moments or periods of experiencing sheer joy or delight to some degree, and then there are moments of feeling discouraged or flat, and it is of course common to fluctuate between stages or experiences, but what matters most is to see that we can get stuck at any stage on the path, and getting stuck is equivalent to being stale or lifeless. and that is why Hong Ji said the Yangshan especially pointed out a living road. And we are engaged in what is considered a living tradition. A living tradition, which means to turn to the practice is to turn to life and away from the stale. To turn to reality and away from concepts, away from thoughts. Away from ourselves, actually. An ancient said, the stage of faith is gradually matured and one is generally aware of wrong contentment. Hopefully. Although one distinguishes purity and defilement, it is like a sword cutting mud one still retains the harness, one cannot yet rely on faith, therefore the ox is half white, half black, and these two needs to be transcended. Half white, half black. It's actually neither here nor there. So there are all kinds of sicknesses, right? There's the one which we've heard before Mounting a donkey to go look for a donkey. And then, of course, there's another one, realizing that you are the donkey, being un- unwilling to dismount. Or still seeing that there is a donkey. So the monk kept going, he didn't hear. Therefore he kept going. Don't you have any other particular way of guidance? Yangshan said, to say that I have anything particular or not would would not be accurate. Based on your insight, you only get one mystery, which means you can take the seat, you've earned the seat, and you can take the robes. Sit down. After that, you see for yourself. See on your own. And the footnote says, he even adds wind to the sails. And that is exactly what the monk needed at that time. He needed someone to tell him, I trust you, I trust that if you take the time, if you muster up the courage, if you have sustained, consistent practice, you will see on your own. I know you will. So a little bit of encouragement. Not a crutch. Just encouragement. During one of the Mondos with his disciples, and said, in my shop, there is a wide range of goods. If someone comes looking for mustards, then must turds, then I give them some. If someone comes looking for real gold, then I give it to him. A monk said to him, I don't want mustards. May I have the master's real gold? And teacher said, you can try to bite the head of a flying arrow until the ear of the ass. There's no such thing but you won't succeed. The monk couldn't respond to this, and so the teacher added, if you want to exchange something, we can make a deal. If you don't want to exchange anything, then we can't. If you're looking for mouse turds, then that's all you'll find. If you're looking for gold, that's all you will find. But if you're looking for your true self, it is not a thing to be found. Exhaust your thoughts and discard whatever you're holding on to, and your true self will naturally be revealed. Naturally be revealed. When we do exhaust, when we exhaust our thoughts and open up the grasping hand, what is revealed is nothing other than a spontaneous and buoyant expression that manifests in the way we go through changes in life and how important it is right now. What we call true self is naturally fluid and dynamic, has no need to grasp, and is willingly open to change according to the need. We may not realize how many opportunities we may miss when we grasp our identity We don't realize, we may not realize how many doors open and we are blind, go right by them, keep going because of what we think about ourselves or because what we think the plan needs to be. And according to my plan, this door is not even there, let alone open. Right? We come into life, we live it, Moment by moment, we devise plans, and then we compare reality to the plan. Now, I remember years ago when we traveled on bicycle in New Zealand, we were on a few months' bicycle trip, camping. So we had all the equipment with us. And there was a long stretch of road that on the right and the left, there was uh, just farmland privately owned farmland and uh, it was getting dark and we had to camp somewhere so we didn't want to trespass and we stopped at this uh, farm and we went into the house and we knocked on the door asking if we can uh, camp for the night and uh, very lovely woman, op- woman opened the door she said of course you can camp right there and we did and the next morning her grandson comes over to the tent, pops his head in, and asks, "Do you guys want your porridge in the house or in the tent?" So of course we went into the house and we had uh, breakfast together, and we had a very long conversation, and we got to know all about them, and we told her about us, and then she said uh, she told us she was working at a kiwi fruit pack house, packing house. And she said, you guys want to work? Of course, that was not the plan. So we said, "Uh, sure, why not? So she said, okay, I can arrange for that. So she took us to the place, got a job. Uh, We got a place to put our tent right by the warehouse. And we worked there for a few days. And then after a few days, she showed up with her camper, parks it right outside and says, this is your home for now. So, there was a huge upgrade from a tent to a camper. So, and then this was our house, our new home for a little while. We had dinners there with people that we met. We invited people over and then we got to meet some new people there at the the workplace. And then we actually rented the house with a few of them, which was quite amazing. So, it was a house with uh, two Swedish guys a Japanese guy, an English guy, and two Israelis. It's quite eclectic. And that English guy there told me about this martial art called Aikido. And that changed my life. Completely. So, it's one of million examples that we encounter on a daily basis And there are folks on the road. How do we know which direction to go? We don't. We really don't. How do we know that the plan is what we need to follow? How can we know? What is the point of having a plan if not to be able to ditch it in a heartbeat? Any plan. Throw it away. Can we do that? Can we be spontaneous? And what does it mean? Does it mean to not be responsible? Obviously, many of us have many responsibilities. So what does that mean? I'm not going to answer that just want to put it out there. The introduction says, The ocean is the world of dragons. Disappearing and appearing, they sport serenely. The sky is the home of cranes. They fly and call freely. And in the verse, there are two lines that echo that. All embracing with no outside, footnote says, so big there is nothing it doesn't contain. And the second line, penetrating with no obstructions, so fine there is nothing it doesn't go into, the footnote says. That is freedom. Everything is wide open. This is the ocean, the world of dragons. They sport serenely. In fact, they have no plan. all embracing wherever we go whatever we do how can anything be missing how can there be another option who needs another option and then the introduction says why does the exhausted fish remain in the shallows and the sluggish bird rests in the reeds and that is also echoed by the verse, in the verse, gates and walls like cliffs, doors and locks redoubled. And this is why the exhausted fish remains in the shallows. This is why we don't tap our true potential. Because it seems, life seems like ga- gates and walls, like cliffs, doors and locks redoubled conceptually, or when we live in a concept, of course, there is an obstacle. Can't you see? How can you speak of freedom when we live in such times? These times. How can we speak of freedom? We hope that freedom will come later. But it's not happening now. Why do we reduce ourselves to a concept? And what happens when we reduce ourselves to a concept? We reduce each other to a concept. And then what happens? You have concepts speaking with concepts. Is that surprising that we have so much mess? All we have is conceptual beings Interacting and mingling with other conceptual beings. And then the verse says, When the wine is always sweet, it lays out the guests. Though the meal is filling, it ruins the farmers. Bursting out the clear sky, the Garuda takes swing on the wind. Treading over the blue sea, Thunder follows the roaming dragon. So, you know, we enter the practice being drunk on the liquor of duality, but we can very easily get drunk on the fine wine of oneness. Maybe even more drunk. We believe and consume thoughts that are flowing in our heads. We become full and bloated and fall asleep within a conceptual cave and the footnote says wake him up and I'll strike for I'll strike to wake him up and this is where we need to deploy the great determination this is where it's needed when thoughts Bring up more thoughts. And when the many thoughts become fortified or when we take them together, string them together, and tell ourselves that this is true, and tell others that there is something there, then there is something there. And freedom will come later. I'm going to finish with Yangshan's last verse, just before he died. He wrote, "I look across you all, and you gaze back. Two mouths, one without a tongue. This is my teaching." At exactly noon, Yangshan sat on the on, and bade set up and bade farewell to the congregation. He then recited another verse. Completing 77 years, today it ends. When the orb of the sun is just at noon, the two hands fold the legs. Upon saying these words, Yangshan used his hands to fold his legs into cross-legged posture, and he then passed away. What else is there to say? What do we learn from what he said, from the way he lived, from the way he died? What does it mean to be the living reality of these words, this life? Let's walk with that. Thank you.